Hey, are you like us and trying to make your own podcast but aren't really sure where to get started? Well, when we first began, we didn't really know how to get our podcast out there to the hundreds of different podcast platforms. That's where Anchor comes in. Anchor is your one-stop shop for all things podcasting from start to finish. It allows you to record and edit your podcast and then when you're ready to publish, distributes it to a ton of podcasting platforms including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Once you've posted your episode, Anchor tracks listening across platforms and graphs your performance across countries, age groups and platforms. That's how we know that 4% of our listeners are in Hong Kong. If you're listening from Hong Kong right now, well, thank you. And Anchor is totally free. To get started, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. That's a n c h o r.fm to get started. Now back to the pod. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of All About Sports, the podcast. You might already know Krishna and, and me, Aniket, but we have a third person on the screen today and in audio as well for those who are listening in. Please say hi to Fuzel, everyone. Fuzel, you can wave, you can say hi, whatever you believe is the appropriate greeting. <laughs> and we have Fuzel here because he loves a very specific sport. He is a big, big fan of Formula One. So much so that he has his own esports league surrounding it. Fuzel, you want to tell everyone something about that? Sure. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, I mean, obviously, we all like to like simulate experiences. Uh, I mean, if you you know if you are a fan of football, you go out and play football. But it's a little, little difficult to go out and drive a Formula One car. So <laughs> the best, best I can do is uh, try and simulate that experience in my living room. So I play F1 game a lot. I've been playing it for, I think, since F1 2016, so about five years now. Um, so the experience, so I have an esports league. What that means is basically I have a group of 20 people that get together every week at the same time do uh, go through qualifying, go through a uh, 50% race distance, takes about an hour and a half. And we basically throughout, we go through the entire calendar. We keep track of our points, our penalties, et cetera, et cetera. Who got polls, who got wins, you know, we have like a very nice spreadsheet, keeping track of everything. And at the end of the season, one person becomes the driver's champion. The other uh, and a team, uh, a team becomes a constructor champion. Now, obviously we don't get anything out of it except just a little bit of the sheer joy of winning it's it's pure bragging rights like the the ability to say oh i'm a you know a one-time racing one-time season champion or two-time champion is that that that's all because most like other like the race is what an hour and a half a week the remainder of the hours of the week all we do is trash talk so <laughs> it, it, uh, that, that's the experience. So what we do, yeah. So basically, we uh, we play the we play the news game. We play F1 2020. We set up a lobby. We have we usually have about eighteen to twenty people showing up. I mean, obviously, people have other commitments, so sometimes they can't make it. But uh, yeah, we go through the entire calendar. I have the British Grand Prix in 
a little while from an hour from now um, at the time of recording. So uh, we also have a commentator. We also have a couple of people that join uh, just as spectators in the lobby, where they basically commentate. You know, they are the they are our Brundle and um, Karun Chandok, and they they basically provide the entire coverage for it and. They commentate. They go. They try to catch as many battles as possible. And you know, uh, we have uh, an entire system of stewards as well. Like if if you think some, I mean, we aren't obviously as experienced as like professional Formula One drivers. We make a lot more mistakes than they do. So yeah. if we hit someone off, if something unfair happens, if I get rear-ended, I'm gonna you know record a clip of that and be like, hey, stewards, look at this. This driver hit me. This is not supposed to happen. I think like basically the entire purpose of having a league is because if you just go to a random online lobby, it's a very very painful experience because people are literally out there just to you know give you damage and hit you off, and it's just not fun that way. The whole point <laughs> of doing this, the whole point of doing this is so that we have other clean drivers to to race against so i mean i basically have so we a lot of us use either the controller and most of us use like a wheel and pedals and stuff like that so i have a, I have a, a, a car seat inside in my living room so we try to simulate, simulate the experience as best as we can but you know it only gets that far um hopefully we can i think i think the league would definitely help you keep the luca Corberries out <laughs> for those who have been keeping track, um, oh, Luca Colberry kind of had an incident, let's put it very kindly, <laughs> at the karting championships. Also, uh, you didn't give out the name. Come on, go for the name. Although we are going to put oh, oh, every, oh, yeah, every yeah. link possible in <laughs> bad, our descriptions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but we yeah. wanted to say it. <laughs> the, the league is called Zenith Online Racing. Um, we formed it about a year and a half ago. Um, just a bunch of like bunch of so I joined a different league called Apex Online Racing, AOR, which is pretty huge. It's big among YouTubers as well. It's got like thousand like different so many it's got thousands of drivers across tens of different divisions across different platforms and you know they literally have divisions by continent. They have uh, they have a North American uh, division. They have like like 10 European divisions, they have an Asia Pacific division, stuff like that. So that's where I started racing the, for the first time. I started meeting other like-minded people, you know, who are into sim racing, who are into Formula One as much as I am. And then we just like, you know, broke off and made our own league because like we weren't happy with a few things AOR did, but yeah. So we made our own league called Zenith Online Racing, ZOR for short. And yeah, we, stream to YouTube at least thrice a week. So Mondays, Thursdays, and Sundays. It's the final lap. Can Camden hang on to this? This could be a photo finish between these two. Can yeah. Camden fight this back right now? Packer absolutely flying behind. He's so close. Camden oh, covers him though. Contact. A bit of contact, I think. Yes, Camden oh. squeezes. Oh, Camden almost into the barrier. They're side by side still. And they bump oh. again. I Packers think through. If Camden, if Camden can hang on, this works. Oh, Leaps end! Oh, my. Ill advised him there. Yes, that's true. This is going to be crazy. Oh, Beckham! Beckham spun! Huge crash! No! There goes Darth Dough! Awful place! Man. That That is lovely. And just, just a question, slightly yeah. personal. Sure. What's his position on the drivers' championship this season? <laughs> so, 
Ah, that's a tough question. I'm definitely not one of the quickest drivers by any means. Um, <laughs> I am very, very comfortably mid-table. So I think I am at the moment 12th in the standings. And I have, I think, like maybe 60 points. I don't even remember. We are about halfway through the season. I think we, we are 12 races in of the 22 race calendar. The official calendar that was supposed to happen this year. But, you know didn't happen but yeah with 12 races in i think i have about 60 points sat comfortably in 12th but are you, yeah. are you retaining your seat for next year fazel hopefully hopefully <laughs> the, the, the the concerning thing was thing with that is i'm actually second driver at red bull so i'm very very oh. scared about my seat right now <laughs> you, you are you are really trying to simulate the other funny thing as well is I got replaced mid-season. Like I joined Red Bull mid-season and I'm comfortably second driver because the other one is much faster than I am. He's actually competing for the oh time. I'm nowhere close. And, <laughs> you know, I will see how it goes. Oh, yeah. oh, oh man. Man. simulate very yeah. simulation <laughs> is very <laughs> lifelike. <laughs> All right. So to kind of rein it in and mm-hmm. let everyone know what we are actually here for. So there, Krishnan and I are going to try and put our finger down on what have been the most key and pivotal changes, rules and regulations wise since the turn of the millennium. That is what we are here for today. So I'm going to open it up to Fuzel because well, you don't need to hear his credentials again because they're, they're perfect. All right. So, what do you think is the key change over the last 2021 20, season? Key change. I think the most significant, uh, well, I say significant, but the most apparent change for me has been um, the engines. One, because I feel like when growing up, when we started watching F1, it was uh, it, Formula One cars had a very distinct sound. And I think anyone, any Formula One fan would go and tell you, even though the cars are quicker, even though you know the engines are more efficient, they do more with less. Anyone would say that those old engines sounded so much better. <laughs> those, those, those loud, shrill V10s, I think the, the, the sound is just incomparable. Like the engines now are still loud, really, really loud and really like gritty, but it's just like, it was it was what basically set Formula One apart in the world of motorsport because of how powerful and how loud and how um, like high pitched those en- engines were. Other than that, there have been so many, so many smaller, you know, smaller and significant changes as well. Like for example, uh, uh, pit stop strategies have completely changed. They flipped on its head True. because they stopped refueling. Uh, tire strategies, uh, you know, uh, there's the, like the introduction of so many safety measures. I, I want to say, like the introduction of the halo in the last couple of years has been a, a very massive thing. No one has like people were opposed to it because of how it looked initially, but no one can absolutely no one can question how you know, how important they've been, like how important of a safety measure uh, they've been as an addition. Yeah, to this I, mean, I don't think how a Formula One car looks like <laughs> really makes so much of an argument, right? Yeah. But just to kind of button down on what you said with regards to the engine. So up until 2005, a three liter V10 was yeah. standard. 2006 onwards, Move toward 2.4 liter V8. 
certain exceptions v10s were permitted in case of in case a team can't procure a v8 and 2014 onwards is when the big one kicked in right 1.6 liter hybrid v6 yeah and also we stopped calling it an engine since then it's a power unit now so, yep. <laughs> so it's a power uh, and i think that's a fair uh, change because it's not it's more than just an internal combustion engine you know like there's so many yeah. different components to it now with the addition of the mg uk mg uh there's like turbo turbocharged like so many uh, small additions to it now so so again why is it different why is a power unit different from an engine a power unit comprises of the engine plus the ers right. all right so the ers is the energy recovery system which has multiple parts mm-hmm. which is the mguk formerly known as gurs but now a part of the power unit the mguh which also does a similar function but is trying to conserve different uh, energy like waste energy from a different source which is from the exhaust gas yeah. heat which is being kind of wasted mm-hmm. is trying to be is harnessed as energy and of course the energy store which is to reserve the energy saved and the control unit to regulate how much of that you could actually use to power your rear wheels right so that so which is why the v8 and v10 v8 era completely different from a v6 it's no longer just an engine what what are your thoughts is is are we all very nostalgic about a v10 or do you see like a performance difference because a performance difference in terms of uh, reliability also because let's be honest 95 to 2005 there were a <laughs> couple of wonky engines on the grid which you don't see very often since the v6 is been in place yeah yeah so uh, i think it, we are kind of nostalgic because the engine regulation changes have been done for a reason those reasons are i mean i think naturally naturally hybrid engines if they are done correctly are much more efficient like i said they do a lot more with a lot less so a v6 a turbocharged v6 with the an energy recovery system produces a lot more power than those raw power v10s and but there's just so much wastage like i think a big uh, aspect of uh, you know making these changes was the environmental impact because they, those engines would those v10 engines would consume a lot more fuel there was no there basically used to be no limitations on fuel there used to be no limitations on the fuel flow to the engine but all both of those things are limited now we like the cars can carry only a certain only a certain amount of maximum fuel and obviously they would want to carry less because you know the added weight uh, makes them slower there's uh, limitations on the fuel flow to the engines as well so uh, like i think just the, ask ferrari right about the fuel flow <laughs> <laughs> we don't talk about ferrari <laughs> um so um yeah i think the environmental impact was uh, one of the big reasons for making that change and uh hybrid engines like even modern supercars like modern hypercars they they call now uh, like the ferrari la ferrari the you know the mclaren p1 the porsche 918 
to, these cars have produced really, really powerful engines, but they're just not, they're not just you know raw power, raw raw brake horsepower engines. They're hybrid engines as well. They also harvest electrical energy. They have battery power, and it just it's just that little extra kick for you know kick for the car that it just makes it that much quicker because electrical energy is transmitted immediately right there's no lag there's no delay that you know that a normal a regular engine would have so it's just it's just like the cars have obviously gotten a lot faster than they have like every every weekend a lap record is getting broken a lap mm-hmm. record that has probably stood for a decade has, is just getting smashed every other lap by hamilton and by by mercedes for the most part but <laughs> no. it's no, Again, Fuzel uh, put it very well, right? So, the statement which was made when the transition to a V6 hybrid took place was that we want to utilize the innovation or the innovative capabilities of the constructors into developing engines, cars, or technologies which can be further utilized in the production of road cars. Yeah. All right, so. Fuzel, I think he put it very well in his statement regarding this. But now to switch over to Krishna, <laughs> what do you think is a sticky point in the multiple regulation changes which we've had? All right, it could be a good change also. Just saying, I I termed it pretty poorly there. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I uh, no, I th- thanks, Lord Gui. I should say my. Uh, my brain power is is not as high as you two, so I chose a slightly less technical one, which is uh, which is the point system. And uh, for those of you watching, uh, Gui's created a little um, a little short summary of how the point system kind of changed and how the point systems evolved uh, in Formula One. And I think it likely has had some impact on people at the top getting a little more distance from people who are in you know uh, in the midfield and kind of might play a role in why since you know 25th uh, since 2014 we've seen this mercedes dominance with really competition only within mercedes but just to provide a brief overview um if you're viewing this on youtube or any other video uh, video platform you can see this but until 2002 basically the points only went from the first to the sixth place number one would get 10 points um and then it goes six four three two one with sixth place getting one point um in 2003, they switched it over such that it goes, it, the, the, the number of people getting points is a little, are a few more. So um, the points were distributed up till the racer who finished P8. Um, so it would start again with the number one racer receiving one point. But now the number two racer, instead of receiving six points, would receive eight points. And then six, five, four, three, two, one until P8 with receiving just one point. But in 2010 is really when the biggest switch happened, um, where they moved it pretty drastically to massively favor, um, especially number one. So if you finish P1, according to the current system, you get 25 points. And the number of racers getting points now is expanded to P1 to P10, with P10 getting one point. Um, but from the top, it's P1 gets 25 points, P2 gets 18 points, P3 gets 15 points, P4 with 12 points, um, P5 with 10 points, um, and then 6, 8, 4, 2, 1 with P10 getting just, just one point. Um, I, I wanted to throw this out to, to both of you. How, 
what do you all think about the point system change? Because it's obviously had an, I think it's had an impact on racing. Um, like it, dislike it, things that you would change. What are your general thoughts on, you know, the, the changes that have happened since the 2000s? So personally, I think I like this change a lot because <clears throat> it does two things for me. One, it rewards winning a lot more than previously because like there's a seven point gap for winning versus what it used to be a two point or a four point advantage. I think it makes sense to avoid point award points this way because it basically, uh, you know, rewards getting a higher position because, you know, getting a higher position gets progressively more and more difficult. So getting first place is obviously much harder than getting third or, third or fourth. So that advantage should be that much more significant, like a seven point advantage for finishing first over second and three points from second to third and third to fourth and stuff like that. So I think it's basically rewarding drivers to go for it, to go push for it instead of, you know, being okay with eight points finishing second. It's giving them that extra added incentive to go for the win. It makes it a lot more entertaining for us. The second thing I think it does, the fact that we went from a go, uh, awarding points to only six drivers to the top 10 drivers is giving us a very, very intense and tight and interesting midfield battle. The fact that even people from finishing 7th to 10th are getting points, that means now more people are battling for points than they than you know they used to. Like if I was in 8th eight, place, I probably get no points. I, I don't get any points and I'm just, you know, I've accepted my fate and not doing anything. But now even if I'm in 11th or 12th, I have that incentive to go and uh, push. And, you know, even one point can make a big difference in the championship, right? So... <clears throat> Especially now, I think in the last year or two, it's, this year I want to say especially the midfield battle has been the tightest and the closest it has ever been. Like teams like Racing Point, Alfa Tauri, McLaren, and I hate to admit this, but Ferrari are battling for those midfield positions. <laughs> they make for such amazing battles. Like after turn one, Lewis and uh, Valtteri have basically, if turn one and two, they, if they are in that position, that's it. The podium is done. Verstappen is somehow going to drag it to third. But fourth down, fourth to twelfth place, I want to say, is just incredible. Like it's constantly, constant position swaps, constant battling. These cars are not afraid to go side by side. Like these drivers have so much more confidence in their own cars now that, you know, that they, they, with the way these cars have developed, they have so much more downforce. They're just confident to throw it into a corner, just, you know, stick it, hang it around the outside and stuff. It's, it's amazing to watch. So I, I think those are the two key benefits of having this new point system where more drivers get points and, you know, there's more of an incentive to, for, to finish higher than, you know, than there would be before. Yeah, you're just incentivizing more places. So more people compete as opposed to, retire or just finish a race doesn't matter if i'm 9th or 12th 16th 18th whatever so i think great point it is absolutely a very very strong incentive to battle harder for the non-top three spots <laughs> okay non-top six because okay since we are talking about the change from the original top six yeah but what do you think about the argument that it has kind of made it less competitive in the sense that the gap between one and two is so large that it can't be closed down. 
see that's fair uh, like it, it it's harder to close down for sure because it's not like a one point or a two point gap like we no longer see you know Raikkonen going on the going into the championship going in the final race third in the championship and then ending up winning by one point it's very very rare and unlikely to see that but despite that i think throughout the season it just you know like it's it's making the drivers push a lot more like as much as we we might think Bottas is not a you know championship contender, it's just like even if he if he manages to put together a few good races, like three or four good races, he could close that gap right back up even after having one bad race. You know, but it, it, it like the old point system basically says okay if if there are two drivers, if they let's say the championship is five seasons long, sorry five races long hypothetically. If a driver finishes first for four races consecutively and a second driver finishes second for four races consecutively, the second driver could basically win the win the last one and the and driver number one could just DNF and the championship just swings. So basically he's saying I got nothing for winning eighty percent of the races in the season. So it does, I guess, reduce the gap in the in the in the championship, but it's still incentivizing consistency. I think it, it, it it's more it's less out in, it's less uh, out in the open, but it's just basically rewarding drivers who are constantly doing well. Like Hamilton consistently finishes first or second, Verstappen consistently finishes on the podium. I think that's what it's incentivizing. So even if they had even if they had one or two bad races in the entire season, it's just, you know, they're not throwing away their position because of it. No, that that, that makes a lot of sense. And um, I, I think it's 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 exactly like you all mentioned. It's the battle between having an exciting battle at the top versus having an exciting battle in the midfield. And until you know Red Bull, or at this point probably not Ferrari, but maybe <laughs> maybe Racing Point catches up to Mercedes. It seems like what? The, I, I heard Racing Point. I, I heard you say uh-huh. Racing Point. <laughs> I didn't <hear> racing point. <laughs> um, so until those teams kind of catch up, it seems like it's an internal battle. But that's that's a really good point that you made, Fazel. That it it does reward consistent performance and winning is just awarded a lot a lot more than in the past i also wanted a couple of just a couple of quick um point changes that were made that they just tested out for one year they tried double points for the final race yeah. immediately cancelled it yeah. uh, and then the other one is you know fastest lap one point i can't imagine anyone has an issue with the fast the fast lap is just a fun one you see a lot yeah. of guys switching to like the soft tires just to like race around that last yeah. lap, and it's it's pretty fun. Any any thoughts on any special points you would you would like to add, or what do you think of the ones that they tested slash have in place? So, so I just before I add, so that one I think Fuzel mentioned like with a very good example, right? You could DNF the last race and lose. Well, it almost happened. Not not in the same sense, but. After Schumacher wins with two races to spare, the 2003 points change kicks in. Same season, Raikkonen is two points away from him at the end of the season. Guess how many Schumacher won? He had six wins as opposed to Raikkonen's one and they were just two points away. So it did do the job of making the top two spots really competitive. But it would, I mean, Fuzel said it. Best. It would be a shame if someone with six wins would lose to someone with say one or two wins. Mm-hmm. Even if that man is Kimi, I'll say it. Even <laughs> if that man is Kimi, it, it it just wouldn't sit right. 
Um, and to come back to your question, <laughs> some weird ones. I think they tried to bring back, or no, no, not bring back. They tried to implement the maximum number of wins gets the drivers' championship. I think that happened sometime pre two thousand ten. Uh, no, they tried to, as in the attempt to mm-hmm. make it that way happened, <laughs> but uh, all teams unanimously rejected it. They said, "No thanks, we don't want this bait." <laughs> also, it's too close to the season for us to decide. But again, that would be interesting as well, right? I mean, again, we are not here to experiment. <laughs> I don't think uh, all uh, ten constructors could get together and say, "You know what? Let's just have a fun one this time <laughs> with all the all the money we put into our cars, our racers, research, and well, <laughs> enough to go broke five seasons in. Let's just have a fun one. I don't think that's gonna happen, even though." <laughs> it was attempted but yeah i think i don't i don't complain much a lot of people um, think that the gap is too wide at the top in terms of points but the closest season in f1 history where kimi beats lewis by a point that result would still hold that result still holds in the new point system or the old point system so if that does not change and again doesn't change by much i think kimi beats lewis by about 7 points and but again he was not behind by just um, seven he was behind by more than seven points at the start of the last race so i can't complain about this one even though most people like to because they believe that okay there's a hamilton bias let's admit not too many people want to give him the props he deserves so we're finding ways to complain at this moment <laughs> that's what i feel like <laughs> so those are two really big slightly controversial changes in which are more okay let's say nostalgia driven <laughs> in the sense that oh we times were great old point system was great but now from a strategy aspect strategy point of view i think two things which are really Okay, not let's not say <laughs> turn things around completely, but really had an impact at the change in the tire manufacturers and refueling. So, the, the I think removing refueling kind of pulls back on the strategy aspect, but having high degradation tires and Pirelli adds to the strategy aspect. You have to manage the tires more, but Again, the refueling, lighter cars, that aspect is toned down. So what do you think about that? Because refueling got banned in 2010. There are some conversations around it, um, trying to make a way back into F1. Some drivers support it. Alonso being one. I think uh, the argument is that you want a lighter car considering the number of weight increases the car has had with the halo and other aspects as well. Again, very strategic, <laughs> very very strategic point here in terms of number of pit stops, number, and again fuel weight. But what do you think about refueling and tires? That is that is a big one for me. 
So uh, refueling, I don't have very strong feelings about refueling, coming back or you know, being staying abandoned because I've, uh, I, I see the point in removing refueling. It was mainly because of the safety issues, because we've seen uh, so many pit lane fires because, you know, a fuel nozzle just didn't come off in time or, you know, something went wrong with, with that part. So it's better for that fuel, that a combustible liquid just stay in an enclosed space. Um, for as long as possible. So I see the the benefit in not having refueling, and I think it like obviously it's a smart decision because it just because that pit crew is is doing so much already. Like they're already risking so much. <laughs> with you know, a, a car can easily hit them, and they're just at the discretion of the drivers. So <clears throat> I think I think it's a good I think it's a good thing that uh, refueling isn't the thing anymore because. You know, so there have been so many strides made in terms of driver safety and pit crew safety in the last decade or two. It, it, I think it, in 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 that aspect, it bringing refueling back might be a step backwards, and I don't know if that's a, a good thing. Um, another thing, uh, I guess, is so like Alonso would say, the the um, the thing is with the car weight, it it overweights the car if you just add race fuel to the add race fuel right at the beginning, but then it's also limiting the amount of weight uh, amount the weight of the fuel that can be added to the car anyway it's 110 kilograms of fuel so i mean who's to say that how how difficult would it be to regulate the amount of fuel that is put into the car if refueling was a thing like i could you know you could start the race with a little less fuel but then on your first stop if you make an early stop you could just put the fuel put a lot of fuel in and then you don't want to burn it off quickly because you want to do quicker laps and stuff like that so um, I, I personally don't see a lot of benefit in bringing it back. I know strategy is a thing, but I think strategies are well done now, even with the tire degradation. So I think that's a good segue because tire degradation is such a massive, uh, like thing to consider every time I going into a race weekend, um, strategies are like just today, just earlier today in the race, uh, in the Portimao Grand Prix, uh, like the two Mercedes started on the medium tires because, you know, they last way longer than the softs. The softs just die very quickly. And we saw people starting to pit on like lap 14 and 15 of a, of a 60 plus lap race. So, and the medium tires just kept on going. So is definitely and plus like the way temperature plays into it the way you know the weight of the car also you know affects tire degradation the heavier the car is the faster the, the tires are going to degrade so you know softer tires will last so soft tires could last 15 laps at the beginning of the race but at the end of the race when the cars are lighter when they've burned off the fuel they could last maybe maybe 18 laps 20 laps so i think that that just that aspect of uh strategy is still very well done like themes are spending entire the, the limited amount of two hour practice sessions that they get that you know just to figure out what the tires are going to do and how much can we extract out of them you know they, they are trying to maximize what they can do uh, and you know trying to minimize tire deck by setting up the car in a certain way but uh uh, the like the aerodynamic regulations are limited so that there's not that much load on the tire so they can last a little bit longer i think so that already is a pretty complicated way of you know uh, controlling strategy and you know producing differences between different teams and different drivers and cars to see who can you know who can come out on top eventually so yeah i think that that's my opinion i think i think refueling coming back is probably not the best 
the best solution in the direction that F1 has taken in the past, you know, past decade or so with the changes. No, and, and I, I'm glad you mentioned that point and, and what you mentioned earlier as well in terms of the safety, safety being one of the rationales for refueling. Refueling accidents in a pit stop are, I think, the most horrifying accidents I have watched in sport. It is, um, it, while, you know, all of them wear flame retardant um, jackets, everyone who's working in the pit crew, it is just a jarring sight to see this massive, like a person being completely engulfed in a flame in like a split second. Um, so that, that makes a lot of sense. And um, the, the, the tire point is also a fun one, again, given this year. Uh, I think one of the more f- one of the more fun races, probably not for race strategy, but more for uh, just watching people panic at the end as their as their tires per- uh, tires are exploding was was Silverstone. So it, it is just a fun um, addition, but yeah, something that's uh, that, that that continues to be fun as we go through each of the races. I I also wanted to bring up you know just in in way of point changes one other uh, item that F one kind of went back and forth on. So in two thousand and two. Um, you know, one of the races where Barrichello was leading uh, Ferrari, um, Ferrari kind of gives the team order for Barrichello to step away and let Shumi overtake. Shumi obviously did this dramatic thing of like, you know, wanting to bring him up on the podium and Barrichello's like, bro, I still finished second. This makes no difference to my life. Uh, but anyway, so, so as a result, Formula One banned team orders in 2002. Uh, in 2011, they bring it back. I should say as someone who's been like, casually watching F1 for a while and now more recently getting into it more, like again more seriously. The highlight of my week is that Monday afternoon team radio, like the radio highlights release. Uh, so it, it, it obviously adds, I do think adds something to Formula 1 makes it exciting. But what do you think the role of, you know, team orders and team radio should be and is in the model F1? Because I think it is somewhat, um, I, I do know fans do have sometimes a bit of an issue with um, some of the overtaking that, that happens as instructed by teams like the Barrichello incident. What, what are your guys' thoughts on team orders? So, i just quickly take that one I'm, because my take on this is not very long. Okay, I don't mind it. I really don't. Mm-hmm. You've you got to be honest with your drivers that we are not here just for you. This, when we are, say, Mercedes or Ferrari or any team, there is another racer. And as much as you would love to see both of you have at each other's throat, it doesn't bode well for us as a team. You're just kind of ruining our chances at improving the car for you next season. <laughs> you know, you're giving a fighter's chance to people behind you. Okay, so I don't mind that aspect where, you know, teams can dictate who overtakes whom within themselves. Again, team radios that have possibly become the most uh, helpful tool to a driver in the sense that there is so much strategy involved which Fuzel spoke about very well in terms of the tires. So strategy is a big deal. So to the point that you see so much strategy convergence in F1 right now. The top three, if you don't pit within a lap of each other, you might get caught out because the middle of the pack pits immediately after and then you get caught behind them. So you you miss out the right time for a pit stop by a lap or two laps, you could <laughs> you could kind of count your race over. So so I don't I don't think the team radio instructions need any change from what they are 
currently work perfectly fine don't cause and let's be honest the drivers do understand that they are part of a team as much as say weber was annoyed on at while standing on the podium right you could you could have a go at everyone from there but that even though there is complete denial by <laughs> vettel that i'm not i'm not going to do what they want me to do over here those instances are not as many if you think about it 2020 season you'll you'll see enough number of instances where people have been allowed or people are allowed their teammate to pass because well they are ahead in the driver standings or or you don't want the guy behind him to compete <laughs> with him you take you take the onus of defending those points for the team because you are not as high up in the driver standing so that's my take on it so there you can <laughs> Yeah, I think no. I think team orders are an important aspect of the sport because I think primarily what the sport is is a battle to win the championship between ten teams more than it is a champ. It is a battle between twenty drivers because Mercedes is out there trying to win a championship and Hamilton and uh, Bottas are basically their employees, their tools to get that done. You know, they just have they are they are just. a team that are trying to compete and they are hiring talent to help them achieve that goal so it's so i think the the mercedes's priority is going to be to make sure their two drivers finish in the highest positions possible not they aren't going to really bother or care about if bottas finishes first or hamilton finishes first because at the end of the day they are getting 43 or 44 points right so i think the 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 um importance with sometimes team orders is to is for the team to ensure that their drivers don't end up crashing and throw away those potential 43 or whatever points that they have at the minute because we've seen that happen before if they just let two drivers who are again, who are you know battling for the championship battle it doesn't always end well for mercedes is a very good example of that so um I think it's important for team orders because it helps the team ensure you know guarantee safety in terms of points. The other thing is sometimes uh, if a driver is clearly quicker than the other, and you know if he is getting impeded by his teammate, they can just let him let them pass, and you know may, maybe hopefully down the road make uh, you know make inroads on. on other uh, teams and then you know maybe get more points like if my drivers are stuck in 6th and 7th and the drivers in set driver in 7th is quicker maybe he can pass and you know catch up with the guy in 5th and make pass and you know the team ends up getting a little a few more points that way um yeah so like and like you said about defending like sometimes the owner should be on, on on some other driver who's below in the championship standings to you know to defend or they they could they could even work with strategy i think the the effect of a, a good toe a drs things like that is very understated in formula 1 because if i'm a driver in second and my teammates in first I could like on the straights definitely I'm going to have a pace advantage right I could uh, because of DRS I'm going to be quicker I'm going to be behind him in the slipstream not as I'm not going to have as much drag and I'm just going to have a higher top speed now that if I decide to if I decide to overtake I overtake like I still keep my I turn my engine up I I you know turn put on my DRS and I I go 
But the, on the flip side, if, um, uh, if I need to save fuel, if I need to conserve my tires, if I need to control my engine temperatures, my tire temperatures, at that point, it is much more beneficial for me to just turn my engine down, turn my fuel down and, you know, stay behind the car because he is dragging me along anyway. He is still using more power than I am. He's an... I'm still getting the benefit of staying behind him because he gets most of the drag and I get DRS and I get the slipstream and I'm still managing to keep up with him. I'm still doing the same lap times while using my tires less, while using my engine less, while using less fuel. So I think team orders, the team could basically, you know, uh, orchestrate this pretty well if they, you know, if they get it right. Like Hamilton could stay behind, save his tires for 60 laps out of a 65 lap, lap race. And then if he now, now he's like, okay, I want to win. Uh, my tires are in a better condition. My engine's in a better condition. I've got more fuel to burn and I can push for the last five laps and then go for an overtake. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of strategic aspects to having team radio. I think without that, it would be a little more chaotic for the team than it would be for the drivers. So. Uh, I think the the models are a, are an important part of the sport that we don't quite see, we don't quite think about as much because you know it's not something we, we don't quite fathom the importance. Yeah, it, I mean that because we don't. Yeah, we don't hear about it enough. We don't know what's going on in the team engineers, the team principal. I don't. I don't know at any given moment what Toto Wolf is thinking about because you know I don't see it. I can only see what the drivers are doing. So. And, and to begin with, whatever he's thinking about, he's going to guard so closely. <laughs> he doesn't want absolutely anyone to know those things. Yeah. But he has a championship winning team. So, and great strategy, race after race, doing wonders for both their races and the team. Okay, maybe not for the second racer as much, but for the team. And what Fuzel just spoke about kind of puts into perspective also that there is one very com- one absolutely jarring argument which a lot of people like to make now which could be a, a different podcast episode all in itself is if formula 1 is now more controlled or dictated by the people on the pit wall as opposed to being a sheer racing competition and i i don't think we should even begin to discuss that because well it, we we're getting nowhere <laughs> not not in this podcast episode. We need to do a lot more in terms of discussing that one. But again, another one which I'd like to point out, which happened this season itself, is um, the party mode getting banned. So, what are your thoughts? I mean, I'm not very clear on that one. So, if Suzel or Krishna, you know more, please go for it. Because I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you take this one because I know, I know Mercedes basically didn't care. It was like, yeah, party mode's banned and we'll still dominate. I mean, it was like almost a nonchalant brush off their shoulder. Uh, so I don't think there was too much concern from them. So I think, I, I think taking away party mode from, say, certain teams kind of hampers their qualification performance. But what people, I'm. I don't understand what they were looking at. Were they trying to make Mercedes less competitive when they did it? Because it has done absolutely nothing. <laughs> they are still as good as they were when they had, well, party mode as they call it, which is basically a different engine mode, Yeah. which channels more power for them in the qualification sessions. 
which you're not allowed to use by the way in the race so it was because I, I think the party mode basically entails the fact that uh, these engines can now consume more fuel and have more i guess electrical energy at their disposal to go all out for one lap i guess uh, they don't i mean they don't have it available in the race at all but they only use party mode for a couple laps for that push because obviously it's detrimental to the engine to use it for that long because the engine heats up a lot doing that and they need to like you know calm it down very quickly so they can't do it in a race um i think i yeah like you said very well i don't see the benefit in taking it away because they're taking it away from every team so eventually it's still a level playing field where mercedes is still you know head and shoulders above the rest so i don't see the benefit in taking it away i don't because you know okay mercedes is using party mode maybe their party mode was a little more effective than uh, someone else's some other teams so um you know it, i think it, like even if they took it off mercedes still took pole by i don't know like a few tens and they still ended up locked ended up blocking out the front row of the grid so yeah it was one of the more more useless roles but I guess if it helps teams conserve engines a little longer, then hey, hope. which they need to, yeah, <laughs> new guidelines. But I think we covered some really, really good ones out of all the changes which happen in a very dynamic sport in terms of regulations and rules. So, just to summarize, we went through the changes in the engine capacity, the point system, tires, and refueling, which are more to do with race strategy. Those were the big ones, and the team radio, which is again a strategic one. And with that, I think it's time to thank Fuzel for all he's spoken about today. He's added so much, so much, and I think Krishna and I would have had the most boring <laughs> unidirectional podcast without Fuzel. <laughs> yeah, it would be so, like clueless, blind, like definitely me blind leading the blind disorder. <laughs> No, no, I genuinely appreciate like you guys having me on board as well. Like, just to, you know, it, it was a great opportunity for me as well, just to speak about you know, or like speak about the sport that we've been following for so long. It's just nice. So I'm glad. I'm glad to be here. More than happy. So, so again, to sign off, guys, do all the things you know you're supposed to do. If you like what you're watching or hearing, follow us on all our socials, which will be linked in the description. And thank you so much, guys. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, remember yeah. to subscribe to Zenith Online Racing on YouTube. <laughs> thank you so much, guys, for joining. Bye-bye. <laughs>